You're listening to the Geek Saga Podcast. This episode features audio from a discussion panel that was recorded at DragonCon 2023. Okay, so this panel is The Madness of the King. Despite the title being The Madness of the King, this is going to be discussing all representation of psychology and mental health in high fantasy. So it doesn't all have to be bad, you guys. It doesn't all have to be the mad Game of Thrones kings, okay? My name is Tara, I am the moderator. You can find me on the web at A Geek Saga. I ended up at this table because I ran Ice and Fire Con, the first Game of Thrones song was in Fire Convention in the US for 10 years. And hey, do we have our other panel? I am. Yay! Yay. Just in time. Full team. Yeah, so I ran that for 10 years and I also have a couple podcasts, Sagas and Sass, which is a genre lit podcast and the Geek Saga podcast, which is panel recordings and general messery. And then we're going to go down the aisle here and y'all introduce yourselves. I'll get started with a couple of leading questions. But again, make sure you use the microphones if you have questions and are able to do so. Thank you. Hi, guys. I'm late. I mean, Dakota Kraut. Yeah. Uh, it's super nice to be here. I am an author in uh, genres of RPG, Gamelet, and Cultivation. And not only do I write my own books, I'm a uh, publisher. I write, uh, I'm sorry, I publish lots of other people as well. I have 41 books on the market currently, and it rocks. So, good to be here. I do not have 41 books, so yeah. <laughs> my name is Ryan Cahill, or Cahill, whatever is easiest for you, or if you don't mind. Um, I'm originally from Ireland, I live in New Zealand. I'm an epic fantasy author, and I tend to write more in a style of a modern narrative, similar to John Gwynn. My debut series is The Man of the Broken. It's currently six books long, and I've done that in the last two years, so it's about a million words. So it took a while, so mental nice. health is definitely uh, a <laughs> yeah, <it's right>. thing. <laughs> <It's a thing. laughs> I'm Brian D. Anderson. These were a double dose of my fun stories. I have 25 novels out. I am what you call a hybrid author. I had a very successful uh, indie career for several years and decided to transition over to traditional publishing. I did a trilogy for four books. I've done work with Blackstone. I'm currently writing short fiction for the Conan the Barbarian franchise. And, you know, just what I do and hopefully It'll check me out and like it as much as I love doing it. Hello, everyone. I lost my voice yesterday. Sorry. Um, I'm Kaylee, and I write epic fantasy, and I've been published since 2013. I have 44 novels out, and I run a podcast called Needed On Set that talks about the film industry. Thank you. All right, so I'm just going to get us started with one. I want to call it an easy question, but now that I think about it, it's probably not. Oh, God. (laughs) I would like each of you to think about and give us your thoughts on one depiction of a character with mental health struggles in high fantasy that you like and one that you think could have been done better probably my favorite character with like mental health stuff that i would that i really liked was in the dragonlance series it was raceland the mage and uh he was one of the characters that just gave up basically everything his health his family like his relationships everything like that all in the pursuit of power and he got it right and so then it was just it was really interesting to read that and watch as that character struggled to succeed going forward man that could be done better. I don't I don't really like to say negative things, so I'm just going to skip that. That's part, fine. So, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of things, particularly in when it comes to mental health 
in literally any media is that things have evolved and changed for the better a lot in that respect mm -hmm. over the past, you know, even just decade, possibly even really less than that. So when I'm asking you about something that could be done better, I mean, it could be mm -hmm. a 40 year old book series, you know, that, that just hasn't aged well, perhaps. So it's, I'm not asking you to talk crap necessarily. <laughs> okay, appreciate it. All right, cool. I don't think I really like the depiction of mental health in almost any epic fantasy in general, because you have people who are going from you know, the whole farm boy trope or, or that just general genre who are just surrounded by vicious death and destruction and loss and they deal with nothing <laughs> at all. Mm -hmm. And I think like my favorite one though, if I'm positive, is I actually really like the way they deal with Rand in the Wheel of Time, because when you look at it, mm -hmm. this is a dude who stands there and he's like, it does a lot of flaws in the Wheel of Time, but it, and a lot of amazing things. But he stands there and they're like, you have to save the world, screw everyone you love, it doesn't matter, they're irrelevant because they'll all die if you don't do it. And then he has to deal with that emotional weight the whole way through and the way they take him on an arc from the start to the finish, going into his Darth Rand phase and killing everything and recovering and coming to the other side and accepting who he is and with the help of his friends. For me, I love that. And you have like his relationship with his dad and that, which is one of the only healthy depictions of male-male father-son relationships in epic fantasy for me. That's, that's still like a special little gem that I like. But yeah. I think uh, one, of the, one of the my favorite ones is the Bloody Nine from the first long from Joe Abercrombie. Yeah. How he sort of comes into his own as basically just being this ruthless killer. And he remains that throughout 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 the entire book, but takes on a more leadership role and starts to feel that he's actually worthy of, of becoming that and sort of realizing that his own importance and he, he's not so because he starts out really down on himself and really a lot of self-flagellation and I love the way Joe, uh, Joe Abercrombie handled that not, not to mention Joe Abercrombie is just a brilliant writer he can't, his prose alone is worth I don't care if you don't like the story the prose is worth it <laughs> what I didn't like, and I'm going to go to the Willow Time, and I, even though it's one of my favorite of all time series, was with the way he handled Nani. She stayed a hard ass pain in the ass way longer than anybody normally would have in that thing. Towards people who did nothing but show her kindness. And she, she didn't have really, a, in my estimation, enough there to be that jaded. You know, there wasn't, an, and maybe there was, but. I don't think Jordan explored it enough for, for me to, in my head, to justify it. And that's not to say I hate the character, but I'm, I'm having, having to think which one didn't, didn't I like as much, that would be the one. You can see the shift in her in the last few books as well. Yeah. Maybe someone else took over. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I love both. Yeah, I, I get exactly what you mean. There's a, there's a noticeable difference in relation <laughs> Brandon Sanderson, Brian D. Anderson. <laughs> I haven't seen them both in the same room. <laughs> so I think of, when I think of a depiction of mental illness and fantasy, I think about the Sword of Truth series with Nathan Rowe, who was considered mad because he had the gift of prophecy and having all of that knowledge affected his mental health and um what i enjoyed about that series was how he found healing from that through the help of the other characters helping him 
cope with the polish that he had. I mean, I'm just gonna throw out just a real easy, super easy answer. Game of Thrones and Daenerys. I'm hoping with the books it's going to be different, but right now, and for God knows how long and possibly forever, that's the only depiction we're going to have of her mental health journey and deterioration, and it was awful. Look, listen, we all know it's gonna happen, but maybe don't throw it all into like a three episode uh, quote unquote arc. I not even call it that. But that said, I was really surprised at how much I loved the Stormlight Archive and the depiction of mental health in that, and particularly as the books have progressed, and I don't know if it's just, I don't honestly know if it's Brandon Sanderson growing as a writer and or you know him showing the characters' journeys. Either way, it's great. And the fact that they're basically introducing therapy in that world, which there's no therapy anywhere in media. And they like someone mentioned earlier, they all need it. So those would be my top two uh, bad and then good options. So I guess <laughs> none of us are doctors. I feel like we probably should have said that like at the top of the panel, like none of us are psychiatrists. So if you're out there in the audience and you are, you are the people I want to hear from because I feel like you guys will have a I mean I work in the medical field kind of adjacent um, so I do have some knowledge of these things but one of the things that I have I kind of mentioned it a little bit ago is the growth in recent years of more for lack of a better word positive depictions of mental health whether it be watching characters struggle or in terms of like the Stormlight Archive gosh we watch the characters struggle but now they're actually doing things to help themselves so I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on the sort of developments particularly I would say within the past decade but really it's been hardcore within the past seven or eight years more so so I'd love to hear your thoughts on these depictions in media and how they've evolved recently I, mean, I just keep on thinking about Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> and PTSD and that just continues to bother me. <laughs> and I'm not sure if they will ever tell us what brought him out of that, other than fighting Darth Vader and seeing his half face. But um, I'm not sure, I mean, I can't think of myself anything as far as like modern changes as far as in fantasy that we see any kind of treatment of. No, not necessarily treatment. I just mean in terms of how media, whether it be TV series, movies, or authors in their novels, graphic novels, etc., the growth there. Because yes, you're right. There's still never enough yeah. treatment and therapy in these series. But the literal growth of kind of the world as a whole in recent years and how that has affected how these characters are being written for the properties that we love. Yeah, I think there's, there's one. It's not fantasy, but I don't know if anyone's seen. There's, um, there's a TV series on Disney at the minute called The Bear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. A it is, show. outside of anything else, it's yeah. genuinely a masterpiece in how to inject tension into completely mundane situations. <laughs> Have you ever worked in the restaurant industry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not even in the restaurant. They're yeah, having yeah. a conversation and your, your BPM's like 140 and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> I shouldn't feel like this. I just took up smoking five minutes ago. <laughs> but, um, it's genuinely, it, it's one of the first, because I do have a lot of criticisms of even a lot of modern oh, uh, for sure. media for how they deal with mental health and not even treatment, just just support networks and the ability for I have a big focus on my own books in positive male-male mental health relationships and like I, I myself I've got, I got emails at the start being like I, I'm getting these homoerotic vibes I'm like he just asked him if he was okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like, 
of course that's there too, but this is different. <laughs> this is just, are you okay? Are they mostly gay? Because yeah. straight guys don't talk about their emotions. But, but there was a, a very good depiction of it in, in The Bear with the lead character. Um, it's not a spoiler because it's like the first episode. It's the whole theme is that he's lost his brother and how he deals with it and his sister trying to get him to go to counseling, but to like um, Alcoholics Anonymous, but for survivors of people that lost. And it's amazing the way they've done it, the way they've dealt with it, the way they show mental health in across all the characters. It's really, really fantastic. Did mm. a good job with Huey and the boys too. His mm. his journey, yeah. seeing him lose his girlfriend mm. right there, and they actually show his mental health journey. I thought that was brilliant the way they did it, and they didn't do it in some some negative way where he was showing him as being weak or something like that. They they were showing him starting here and becoming stronger and be, and, and and dealing with the issues and sometimes not dealing with them and not dealing with them properly. I thought they did, they, in the boys, they did a fantastic job. And it's job in a real kind of like bro hoorah kind of kill everything depiction in media, which makes it even more special. The fact that they can do that, that dynamic, and mm -hmm. taking it from like, let's just murder everything to like serious, serious yeah. health talks. Like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's really cool. So, I actually I have a book called Awaken because I have a son who has autism, and I wanted to showcase that in my work. So, the king in this book has autism. And the way I depicted it was through his social interactions because um, I have also friends who I've dealt with throughout the years with Asperger's. So I wanted to give um, a point of view from that character how difficult it can be to just simply read people's faces or um, understand social cues. So I, um, I think that was really special for me to give that representation. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go completely the opposite way of these other people. Like, and I don't have a beautiful accent for you. Mm. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but uh, so I I wonder sometimes if too much of that can ruin established work. And in in this case, I'm gonna point at like James Bond. So. I don't know about you guys, it's not my personal thing, I haven't seen the videos, but a lot of people come to me with like, talk about media, about other things, things I should watch, things I shouldn't, all this other fun stuff, and just a huge population of like, James Bond fans really dislike the Daniel Craig ones, right? Because for the first time, James Bond, an established media, right? James Bond is this iconic figure with this very well-established fan base they completely shifted the goalpost because they're trying to appeal to a different audience. But it's the same audience that wanted it in the first place. So I'm wondering where does the line go from established to new stuff? Where should we draw that and make that uh, shift? I think where they went wrong with Bond was that Bond is a fantasy character. And when I say right. fantasy, he's male fantasy. Mm -hmm. Right, he is, exactly. He exactly. male in, in, sure in the most masculine sense of the word. Uh, there's, but there's female examples of that, like Laura Croft. You know, these aren't characters that are supposed to be deep. They're supposed to be fun, exciting, shallow, <laughs> You know that you, you know, it doesn't matter what their backstory is because that's not why you're why you're watching it. And those kind of characters, I think, would they try to right. turn it into something it was never meant to be. It's also sometimes if you try to do everything in the same depiction of media, mm. you tend to do most of it poorly. It's like anything. If you scatter on all the things just to get them in, you probably won't give them the nuance they deserve. Mm -hmm. And some things, although, look, I love the Craig films. I think they're mm -hmm. amazing, and I, I like what they did with Bond, but. I can totally get why if you try and shoehorn extra things in, you might miss some of the nuance of them. Everything won't be as good. The way they deal with his his mental health and with his with his 
family situation and stuff, I don't think any of it was done particularly well because they tried to do all of it and the old stuff. Everything everywhere all at once, but not that was a great movie. <laughs> oh, great movie! Holy oh, cow! Talk about mental health and film. Holy yeah. cow! Yeah, that was great. Man, well, also, also, can you just keep talking for a while, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> You're looking mighty purdy. <laughs> no, that ruins it. Any other thoughts on that before I move on to oh, my man. next question? So, I mean, yes. like, I think, like, Do every, my job everything, you, oh no, everything, everywhere, all at once. Like, if you guys haven't seen it, that is like the best mental health. So many different mental health statuses just flowing from one to another. And they did them all so well. And they did it in sometimes in a cheesy way, sometimes in a cheesy way. So you've really got this huge range of everything. Everywhere, all at once, like it was also tri trippy as well. Oh, super yeah. trippy, super trippy. But uh, no, that actually watching that movie got me out of like a huge funk that I was in, like because being an author is a lonely career if you let it be. For me, I was I was definitely like I was pumping out a ton of books and I was like edge of burnout and I just started consuming new media and I saw that and I was like. Oh my gosh, there's people out there that are weirder than me. This is great. <laughs> I feel good again. So. But I'm, I'm exactly the same. Even like I flew all the way from New Zealand for this because I just get to see other people. I was like, oh my God, I'm not alone. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> you should feel better than seeing somebody worse off than you. Not <laughs> <laughs> quite what I meant. <laughs> I think you're all great. Okay, so my next question is just to kind of bring it back a little bit to the title of the panel. Why do you think the madness of kings is such a trope in high fantasy literature? Because, I mean, we've got Denethor in uh, Lord of the Rings. We've got, like, literally every single ruler in Game of Thrones, it seems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So why do you think particularly the madness of a ruler, I, I, so king is, is, let's use that as a broad term, right? The madness what? of a ruler regardless of gender, regardless like, of gender, et cetera. Gender is so. important. On it because the reason it was Madison the King is because they never had any prominent female characters. That's true. Ones. But that's that's what's good about changing. It's like it's horrible what happened to Daenerys, but at least you know, at least it's finally getting a woman in that position. But it's like the you know, heavy is the weight of the crown. Like the whole idea for me is that mm. you now have someone who nobody is prepared to lead the lives and help the lives of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. There's not one person on the planet equipped to do that. So you tell someone that's what they're meant to do. What the hell would you do? You, you mm. like to do something good. Even if you do something good, you're going to do something wrong. People are going to love you. People are going to hate you. Like I don't know a single politician in the world who is liked by everyone. And a lot of the time when, they, when they're hated, they're really hated. <laughs> so that would be pretty heavy on you. I mean, the inbreeding probably doesn't help either. So. I think it's pretty easy to see where the trope comes from. We go all the way. Okay, let's just not even go way, way, way back. Let's go to the Romans, the Roman emperors. We have detailed um, details about their lives that just show us the madness of, of what an emperor or king or whatever, you, you know, can be like. We have it in detail as part of Western culture. As part of Eastern culture, you have Genghis Khan, the crazy shit that he did. <laughs> I mean, we, don't, we don't have to use our imaginations. We mm -hmm. have writings, mm -hmm. contemporary writings, about how crazy these people were going all the way up to King George. And even in modern times, uh, look at that one Saudi prince who had that guy sawed up. I mean, we oh, yeah. see it. There's no, no mystery as to where we're getting the trope from. We have an mm -hmm. actual madness yeah. to draw from. I think that what's fascinating to me about that subject is, and you can see this, you mentioned King George and Queen Charlotte, the Bridgerton story. And it, I think the dilemma comes in the people they serve 
and whether they will step up and stop them from the things they're doing that could be harmful or if they will continue to serve and try to hide it from the people. Mm. From where does power come? So I'm going to look at this as an author, right? So we're going to, if I'm going to be starting a thing where I have, I have a random dude that I can self-insert or any of my readers can, and I can go with them as they get stronger and stuff, I want them to be going after some big, powerful thing that they are trying to change, right? So the madness of the king is a great archetype for writing because then we can have this storyline. Because I can tell you, if you get really big and powerful and you're going after people like that have some madness that are just kind of living on the street asking for handouts it's not quite as impactful when you go hunting them as when you go hunting the king way better in one direction for writing right <laughs> way better but it comes to anything it's you know paracorps and absolute paracorps absolutely like yeah. it, or, i completely messed that up but you know what i was trying to say <laughs> yeah. okay. you're trying to take down the big bad powerful thing because yeah. if you're punching down it's just it's also just, just how right but it's how it's how mental health and, and people work the more power you have and the more imagine you're standing there and someone goes do you want me to take his head Imagine having that much power. Oh, how, how weird that would be in, in your, like, <laughs> that would warp people's perceptions of the world. Oh, yeah. Well, you also have the fact that, <laughs> that, that uh, the madness of king just being mad, just like having some sort of narcissistic tendencies or whatever kind of mill knows, doesn't mean they're stupid, uh, which is actually more terrifying than somebody's mm-hmm. highly oh, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, we, um, which, as a writer, I love that, you know, somebody who's, you know, batshit and, and, and freaking and, 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 um, powerful and wicked smart. Okay, um, and not to like cut you guys short, but I do want to make sure we get to some questions. Oh, we're already yeah, almost halfway cool. through the panel, so we're going to jump back and forth here, so. A little bit of a discussion of the term madness. What role do you think fantasy literature can have in destigmatizing mental health issues? You were talking on the end about having characters that are neurodiverse. And that allows the readers to experience something and see themselves on the page in a non-stigmatized way. How do you think that, that literature can work with that? I think that it's important to also have the reactions of the people around them and how they handle dealing and communicating with the character with the mental illness or the disorder and even standing up for them if someone has something negative or aggressive to say about them. There's a book by an author called M.L. Spencer, and it's one of my favorite reads in the last 10 years, and it's called Dragon Mage. And as far as I know, M.L. has autism, and the way she was writing the book, the, the main character is autistic. What she does is she does it beautifully, where she moves between the points of view from Aram, who's the main character, and some of the other characters, and it shows, it's a really great, almost like a lesson to someone in showing what different people's perceptions are of the same events, which I think is a mastercraft in writing in general, that's how you should be writing. And they, they show it really well because they show the way Aram works, and they show the way people see what Aram's doing, and there's, there's an amazing scene, which I think I burst out laughing at. It's like the most tiniest thing in the world, where his friend Marcus, and they're walking, and he just, Aram was saying something, he goes, Aram, stop, 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 stop. And he's walking, and and he keeps walking, he's walking for about 10 seconds, he realizes his arm stopped. And he had stopped about 10 feet behind him. He's like, what are you doing? You told me to stop. He's like, I didn't mean it literally. And then you have the way Aram's thought process works after that. And for me, showing that in fiction is a really good way to teach people who don't understand that perception, especially if it's coming from an author who lives that perception. And that to me is, is amazing. I love reading books like that. So I'm gonna say three quick things. 
A, what creators, writers, authors can do, normalize healthy relationships and friendships between all people, right? Like you were talking about healthy, you know, male friendships earlier and how important that that really is. So that's, that's one. In your world building, in your character building, there are ways that you can include this in fantasy. And it's sad that, you know, more, more authors haven't done it over the years, but normalize the idea of there being some sort of therapy and or treatment and also maybe maybe just don't make every character who is presented with uh, neurodivergence or whatever be the, the fact that it's so often a negative trait that's never dealt with that I think has been the biggest problem over all this time so I think normalizing the idea that one of my favorite characters uh, is from the Grishaverse and, and technically this isn't I think this is YA lit according to Dragon Con but in the later books they're much, the characters are all much older and Nikolai is the ruler and he has ADHD and I think he struggles with some other things too but it's like a really it's a good portrayal of how that can be you know kind of a thing that causes problems for a person but how you can overcome it and so like it can be done it has been done it's just not done often enough and I think it's those three things normalize healthy relationships and friendships particularly normalize treatment and or therapy and make it so that not every character who has a perceived neurodivergency or mental health diagnosis be like a negative thing I personally think that fantasy is so prevalent our books are re- really aren't going to sadly move the needle in that area very, very much. I mean, we're, we're a very small genre compared to the wider problem of mental illness and mental health. Mm-hmm. But what, what, what I think we can actually be more of a barometer, because to me, most most of uh, literature, though some of it does create our morality and create our culture, most of it's reflective of our culture. So the more you, I think the more as you read new books and you start seeing more of that is a good indicator that mental health is becoming more normalized. As much as I'd love to think that we could single-handedly change the world this way, the reality is we're going to show you how much it's changed more than we're going to do that. My question might have some overlap. You know, with the hero's journey, you're always looking to have a protagonist that overcomes obstacles. And, you know, facing mental health, certainly, for those who've gone through it, you know, exposure is a big part of it. But is there a danger in using mental health as an obstacle, especially, you know, now where we see mental illness as a disability that, you know, has to be met halfway with accommodations? Is it is it dangerous to depict it? Yes. What do you mean by dangerous? Yes. Well, it could do harm to readers. Yes. All. Yeah. Yes. So I was in the army for nearly a decade and I've seen far too many people that are blown up and we go from able-bodied one day to paraplegic the next. And one of the things that is incredibly frustrating with that is there's a, a huge trope in a lot of books where it's like you can just push past your limits and do the thing and you'll start to get better. And like, mm-hmm. just push up out of that wheelchair and hit the button and you save the world. And it's like, yeah, or maybe you damage yourself much more permanently. And maybe maybe you push past your limits for a moment and then you suffer for it for three weeks as you try to get back into 
homeostasis. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of depictions where people are like, hey, I can do this, why can't you? Like, hey, it's just depression, eat an apple, right? Like, <laughs> smile more. Right? Do some yoga, yeah. go for a run. Yeah, just, just shake it off. So that is a tough thing where it can actively destroy fan bases, like for readers, for authors, that's, that's kind of where I, I look at that from my point. How can this damage my reader base? And it can be damaging to the point that they leave my books forever and then go and say negative things about my books to other people forever. And so it can be very damaging. I think it also depends. We use mental health as a massive umbrella. There's obviously a hundred million things inside that. I think certain depictions need to be dealt with in certain ways. I think using it as a plot obstacle, it can be very dangerous. But I think using it in a way to depict what it's like to be a person, I think that's special and needs to happen. I think because a lot of us, most people struggle with things always believing that other people aren't struggling with them and so that they're they're different or I'm not normal. And I think seeing that, I think I know for me, one of the big things that I have in my own books is, is that male mental health and the ability to talk to someone and getting that depiction, not as an obstacle for how do I better myself, but an obstacle is, you know, like, how do I live? How do I deal with the, the things that are in my head because they're hurting me right now? And it's, it's learning that as a friend, it's totally fine to say, are you okay? And that's a question that you don't ask. People go, oh, how, how was your day? They don't want to know a lot of the time. So it's asking the question properly, looking at a friend, knowing they're struggling and asking. I assume a lot of people in this room, like me, I read so much fantasy and I read it all the time. And seeing that for me, like seeing those kind of things, it might not fix the world or change the world, but it, it helps me learn. Like I learn a lot of those things. Like, like with, with Dragon Mage, like I was saying, I learned a lot in that book. And I was going, oh my God, wow. This is really special for me. So I think it's important to, to deal with it, but maybe I, not use it as a plot up. Yeah, well, and also I will say this too, that you would hope that authors, if, if you're going to write something, right, you want to write a character that has PTSD or ADHD or any of the any of the acronyms, right, or, or depression, anxiety. If this is not something you personally have suffered from, then that's what the professionals are for. I'm sure you can find a friend family member or just a stranger that you pay to give you insight on how best to handle those things if it's not something that you personally have struggled with and i think that in the past there's really not been enough of that in literally any form of media but i'm hoping that that trend is changing and that people know it's like i've been struggling to write a fantasy series for years and years and years one of my world building things was a group of people of color and I enlisted one of my friends to talk over some points to make sure that I didn't screw anything up because I'm a white girl. Like, you know, so it, and, <laughs> you wouldn't know by looking at me, guys. But, you know, so but seriously, like and it, the same goes for any sort of mental health depiction. If you personally do not have if you're trying to create something and you do not have. And honestly, if you're reviewing something that you have watched, talking about it on a podcast or whatever, and you want to talk about somebody from this show or this book or whatever that struggles with something that you've never experienced, you still might want to talk to somebody because I have heard some real stupid things from people on podcasts, read them in articles, I mean, on panels throughout the bazillion years I've been doing this. So yeah, uh, talk to them professionals. And I mean that not just in a therapy sense. I mean that like in a, hey, if you're consuming something and you have questions and it's something you're not used to or sure about, talk to somebody. Especially if you're writing the lived experience. Yes, if you're trying exactly. To write the li- don't try and write the lived experience of something you know nothing about. Because without any, without help. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you necessarily need to know all the specific terms because we all know, know people who flee from relationships inexplicably. I don't need to know the, the psychological specific term for that to write that into a character. I know that every time they get close to a, a young man, young woman, or whatever, 
that they find a way to, to sabotage it for themselves. As far as the lived experience, I've been around for 51 years. I've known a lot of people. I try to be very sensitive about what I put in my books because I'm not out to hurt somebody's feelings intentionally. But at the same time, I'm basing characters on character traits of people I've, I've known in the past. When you build a character, you, you build one with everybody has issues of some sort. None of us are completely mentally healthy. So when you're building a character, you're building what you uh, basically a person with a past and a history. And whatever their history is, part of it's going to be biology, part of it's going to be um, environmental. That's going to create that character and create that character's issues that you may bring to the fore. You necessarily have to know what the terms are or, or even offer um, an idea for treatment of these things because sometimes you don't want that. You want to show the tragedy of letting something linger on and how bad that can turn out. Depends on the story you're telling. What I also say on that one is that's the difference between you can write a character with PTSD, but if you're trying to write how that character deals with PTSD, that's the difference in the lived experience when you're mm -hmm. writing it. You can have a character who is anything, but once you try to write how that character experiences and deals with any of those things, that's when it changes because that's when you're writing a totally different thing. For me, anyway, that a character being there and then how that character deals with it is totally different. I really appreciate how you um, said that it's important to also keep in mind that we are expressing things that humans deal with. And I did personally experience depression as a child, and I got therapy. And I found it important to write that out in one of my books, Rise of Faith, that she has. And it was really um, therapeutic to have readers come to me and tell me that reading her experience with depression and how low you can get and how off track you can get, even though you have a quest, you have a responsibility, but when you lose everything, like what that does to a person, and um, seeing her overcome that. So it can actually be healing for our readers as well. I wanted to ask, what are some ways you think that you could introduce therapy into high fantasy, rather than just fix it with magic the way that a lot of books will do? Um, so it's a little harder in high fantasy to just have therapists. Yep. So what are some ways that you think that you could introduce therapy for your characters who are not working through their shit? <laughs> for me, as I'm aware we've looked at so many questions, so I want to try and stop myself from rambling. Like for me, I know again, like in my books, it's something that I deal with a lot, and one of the things that I try and do is introducing support networks and friends. Yet I think it's important in high fantasy to not break the immersion, and a lot of people will lose the immersion if the king goes to a therapist, unless it's built into the world. If it's in the world building, it's fine. Okay, but if it, if it breaks the immersion, then you're going to lose your readers. So for me, it is about bringing in something that's natural and human. And talking is the most natural human thing in the world that a lot of us just do not do. And for me, showing that support network, showing those friends, showing positive parent-child relationships. Why do we not have enough of them? Like, because they do exist. And I think having that there and having that and showing even the flaws in that, but that for me is how, how we do it. How I do it personally and how I like to see it in high fantasy because it's, it's true and it's real, it's organic, and you can relate to the relief when you talk to a friend. Well, I actually really enjoy merging Eastern, uh, like Asian mythology and Asian um, medical modalities. So I actually love to I infuse in my stories, like when characters are dealing with anxiety, having like a mentor teach them how to like meditate and like calm themselves down and like focus on their breaths and like showing how that can help um, someone 
who is having a panic attack or anxiety. The trick's going to be because you're dealing uh, often high fantasies in Middle Ages technology with mm -hmm. that type of setting in the background. It's not always, but uh, oftentimes it is. Adding a modern style of therapy, I think the best what you said is, is on point about yeah. showing support networks and showing the, the deeper levels of friendship and like what you said with mentorships. I think writing an actual type of therapist would be exceedingly difficult to, uh, to sell into a fantasy novel. However, I think you could take the benefits of what therapy does, spread it over a cast of characters, kings that have advisors, people who have their brother who every time they're have, have, have get angry with their uh, wife or son or daughter or something like that, having having or trouble at work, goes straight over to his brother's house and and sits down and and at the end he feels so much better. You, you able trick to the him. reader and insert a therapist. That's probably the most viable way to go about that. As they're saying, but hopefully kind of in, in my own words, it's just about crap. I had a whole thing in my head and I was like, I was like, this is so good. It's about showing a positive resolution to whatever that conflict was. And it could be a longer term thing. It could be a very quick thing. Like, hey, I had like this flare up and I was just super angry. And then just be like, hey, I totally understand. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's see how things are going. But just showing that there can be positive outcomes instead of, you know, hey, well, oh, we had just had an argument and then my wife was slaughtered by the king and now I must yeah. go get revenge, right? Like you can just have some peaceful moments throughout your content and it'll work really well because it'll be almost subversive, right? It'll be almost flipping the trope on its head and people will be drawn to that. In addition to real-world examples of madness in high places that Brian was talking, because of fantasies, I guess, family tree, how much do you think of the trope comes from the, um, the old, the king is the land, the land is the king business? That's an interesting question. I don't know how much of it does. I think it definitely plays its part. You know, I mean, people used to view kings and leaders as actual gods and mm -hmm. or, or ordained by God, depending on where in the world we're talking about and what time period we're talking about. And their success or failure, they felt was directly related to the um, king or pharaoh or whoever's favor with the gods and their relationship to the land. So I think that probably plays a part. I mean, just look at like Lord of the Rings and you have like Grim Wormtongue and Thaden. It's like a really small, even in the, in the films, a really small depiction of like sycophants and the minor king. That's what I was saying earlier is how would your brain work if, if you had that level of power? I think it's for me, in particularly the depiction of madness and rulers, it's huge because you're telling people essentially you can do whatever you want. You are it. You are everything. Everyone will do what you want to do. That's a really messed up way for a person to exist. Like for me, it's massive. Yeah. Very clever naming, right? Warm tongue, very subtle. <laughs> well, we've, we've also in real life had checks and balances to an extent on most, let's say, royal rulers for quite a long time. But there's we don't have that really in high fan in, in fantasy, media, whatever. So it's a little bit harder, I think, to kind of view <laughs> the king is the land, the land is the king now, unless you are a student of history, which not everybody is. Terry Brooks did a brilliant job in the Landover series with that trope, actually, if, you, if nobody's read it. One of his earlier works starts with a wooden magic kingdom for sale where Landover doesn't have a king, it actually just slowly the magic deteriorates. Hi, um, I provide therapy to children and adolescents who are experiencing mental health issues, disabilities, or, um, or trauma. And I guess my question is, as authors, what advice would you have for aspiring authors, kids who are experiencing these things? 
Listing specifically again, sorry. You, um, you just have mental particular. health issues yeah. in general. So rather that's through a disability or a trauma they've experienced. So like as kids who are experiencing these things and who want to be authors, would you have any advice for these children? Start writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, journal, like, journal, journal, yeah. journal, journal, well, journal. There is something to be said about authenticity in writing. So if you can, if you can say like, "Hey, I can a hundred percent tell you what it feels like to be stabbed and have the blood run down your side," and I can say like, "Wow, it's so cold there, but now like the liquid is so warm," you get more of a feel for that when when someone says that and, and they've really experienced it because they can give you details that most other people cannot. And and so even if it's just for their own sake of writing because it's a very difficult career to like make into a career but even if it's for their own sake just to to write and to to leave a written record a legacy whatever it is or just to put it in a new perspective so that they can see their own thoughts from an outside angle like see it on paper start writing and either it will be just something that is awesome for you or or for the world who knows yeah i think out of of two one is one is not just back it up the same with anyone any aspiring author Mm -hmm is right because it's the first obstacle and it's, it's so hard to, to get yourself to do it. But the second one, and like if there's young children or teenagers in that particular position, like I know for myself, one thing that I would do is find authors. Like I said, like, like I'm gonna keep harping on, like Emma Spencer, Dragon Mage, find someone who is in your position, who has done it. And for me, that has worked for me for so many things where I go, yeah, I can do it. This person's done it, this person's done it. Like, of course I can do it. And then just write. I wouldn't do anything. I would not, no, 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 no. I would not give any advice to these children. Mm, I would um, listen very carefully to everything they told me. I would take notes of everything they said. And then if they're suffering with mental health issues, I'd try to find out what their home situation was like. And I'd try to find somebody who could help them. I am not qualified to... To, yeah. Yeah, yeah, dang it. To give a child any kind of advice on how to do anything. I actually think that from my experience, I actually was that child, and my therapist had me start journaling. So I yeah. love you said that. And I wrote my first book when I was 11, <laughs> and I think it was so healing and therapeutic for me. And it was not only an escape, but it helped me pour those experiences into a character and get to experience some healing from it. So a little bit about me. I'm about halfway through a master's in clinical adult counseling. Worked at patient hospital for about two years and a residential eating disorder treatment center. I've kind of forgotten my questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's hey, been a long time. Thank you for that beautiful sorry. introduction. All right. I do that every time. Qualifications are brilliant. It definitely had something to do with the like difference between like the medical model, the therapy model is a expertise. If you go to a cardiologist because of heart problems, he's the expert on what your problem is. If you go to a therapist, the client is the expert in what's going on in their life. And so I guess my question would be something around that. Oh, also resident Stormlight uh, nerd. I think I've read all about seven times now. <laughs> so, uh, so I think I always come back to that one because of a lot of the mental health depictions. And one of the things I love the most about it is the depiction of wellness versus symptom reduction. <laughs> so in writing about mental health, what responsibility do you think writers have as far as not overemphasizing symptoms in a person being this thing versus being a person that I guess? I'm hoping I'm not misunderstanding your question but i think the idea of hopefully being authors and show creators that are being able to portray the idea of wellness versus symptom reduction because 
Here's the thing, the vast majority of people, it's only ever symptom reduction, okay? You don't go, like, I have PTSD. I haven't had a spell, <laughs> for lack of a better word. I haven't had, like, I haven't actually suffered from a PTSD situation in, I don't know, six, seven years, and I had one yesterday. I had a very obnoxiously obvious trigger, and so I could say, yes, I felt, I didn't listen, I'm saying I felt great, haha. I still have anxiety and <laughs> depression once in a while, usually seasonally, whatever, but you know, I can say, yes, I didn't actually suffer from a PTSD, like panic attack in this long, but then out of the blue yesterday I did. And I, to be honest, having gone that long without having anything, you know, affect me that way is almost like half a miracle. So I, I think that, do I know how they can portray the idea of wellness versus symptom reduction? No, I don't. And hopefully you guys might have some better thoughts on that. But I do think it's very important to show that, let's be real, while the goal is always wellness, 95 or more percent of the time, what actually happens is if you are lucky, a good amount of symptom reduction. And also to know the difference between having an issue, actual mental illness, being depressed, as opposed to suffering clinical depression. And when somebody has some abandonment issues because their, their mom left when they were six, it could be worked out with therapy. Somebody who has some serious mental illness, may, it may need more than just to be talked to. They may need to be medicated as well. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that there is a line there where talk therapy can help some people because of something that happened uh, over their childhood compared to somebody with bipolar disorder or, uh, or schizophrenia or any number of actual mental illnesses that simply talking in situations cannot resolve. I have one, one thing on this and it's kind of been like sticking in my head about kind of what you said here. And this is from the perspective of, of a publisher, right? So I own a publishing company. We do all these things with so many writers, so many readers. And you had said, what is the responsibility of the author to do this? None of us are doctors. Mm -hmm. None of us are behavioralists. None of us are psychologists. We are writing escapism when we're trying to make a career. And so kind of the thing is, our responsibility is to make those authors succeed. And what makes them succeed? This. Whatever this is, whatever our genre is, whatever we're working in, our responsibility is to make our authors succeed. And so like a lot of the time, like we can have sensitivity readers, we can have all, all sorts of things and we can still miss stuff, miss stuff. And so we try, but we have to make full-time money to have a full-time career just like when anyone else. It's like, what's the responsibility of McDonald's to sell healthy food? What I would say though is from a craft perspective of characters is the responsibility of an author from a craft perspective is to write humans first. And I think mm -hmm. you solve that problem by doing that, by writing humans, understanding that nobody is their symptom, nobody is their sexual orientation, yeah, their race. It's, mm -hmm. it's not your personality, it's part of who you are. I think as soon as you do that, you solve that problem mm -hmm. because you're writing a human. And once you write a human, you're on the right track as an author and you're understanding that you can have a person who has something, who has an illness, has a mental illness, has anything, but it's just a part of them and they're not defined by it. And for me, that's my responsibility as an author. And I think that is probably the, the core of mm -hmm. good character work yes. is understanding that you're writing humans, which sounds so silly sometimes. But so we're down to like five minutes or a little less. So I'm going to do some rapid fire. So the first panelist who answers this person's question over here, that's the only answer and back and forth until we're done. Go. How do you think the presence of magic in high fantasy impacts mental health in high fantasy? For example, men in the Wheel of Time has viewings, which some people today might call a hallucination, but they have magic in the world. So it's just magic. 
it kind of washes over some of the problems that we've had in real life. When you said, oh, there's a, there's a movie called Brain on Fire, and there's an incredible, there's a syndrome where basically a lot of people, and it affected women in particular, like, who were locked up over like, hundreds of years for being insane, like, mentally insane, they were just gone. And it turns out it was actually a completely curable illness. And for me, that's kind of the way it works at magic as well. But we can kind of, I think it kind of gets rid of it because we can just hand wave it away with magic sometimes. So that's, yeah, it's just gone. I think that does kind of harm dealing with it. So where I have a big problem with the trope of Mad Kings is that I think a lot of authors use it as a drudge. Because in just normal conversation, people use the word like crazy or mad to describe leaders all the time. With Nero as the classic example, I'm not actually convinced that any of the accounts of Nero's insanity are legitimate that were written on him. McCluyle certainly was, though, in the second half of the It was, we often use terms like crazy to describe leaders with absolute power who are behaving in ways that some individual might find disturbing or seemingly irrational without wanting to dive into why they're doing these things, and if you dive into why, often they actually had a rational reason in their head to do it. It wasn't because they were crazy, it was because... That's good character. I agree that it could be a lazy thing. Oh, sorry, if an author gets lazy, it's absolutely use that as a crush. But a good author won't. Somebody who's good at, good at their job, which we all here hope that we are, wouldn't just leave it to that kind of simplistic end Super quick. So super quick, because she said I could. We have this, this much space to have our book printed. This is the, the thickness of our book. There's only so much we can say. What do you think is the difference in like, I don't know if effectiveness of uh, portrayal is the right word, between like mental health issues as like from our world, like PTSD or something, versus like magically induced in things like Denethor and Lord of the Rings being influenced by Sauron or like in real time male channelers going insane. Is that more effective of communicating real world struggle or as like a metaphor or maybe is it less effective? I'd say it's less effective because there is a simple, easy way to end it, right? It's like, oh, he's mad. This guy's gone. Oh man, you're back. All right. Gondor calls for aid. Right? <laughs> and it's like, you know. Right, right. <laughs> right. Um, so just saying, hey, look, it works for him because magic. Why doesn't it work for you? Slay your demons, you'd be fine. Yeah, just, yeah, just destroy all your inner demons and then go. Some of my friends and I actually use Gondor calls for aid as like a, hey, I'm having a really bad time right now and I need I need a friend. I like, I like, so. I, I, know, I know appreciate you 25% more. <laughs> <laughs> all right, real quick, the last question. Uh, jumping off the previous question about how to integrate like therapy into uh, epic high fantasy, the example that came to my mind instantly was religion. Though we have part of the remit pastoral care, do you know why they don't, and then everyone likes to use the evil high church because it's great for plot and for drama and stuff like that, but why there isn't more use of a rabbi or a priest figure as someone's job it is to talk through your issues as your spiritual and mental health counselor? Because religion and fantasy is always that. evil. Uh, I mean, I have, used, I, I, I have used religious leaders as salvers of, uh, of emotional wounds. Right um, I, right I don't think it's not done. I just think the, don't think it's uh, an author's go-to. Religion often is taking it wonky and, and it's eggshells on a tripwire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you've got to be really, really down careful and know what the hell you're doing when you're using it because you're going to alienate one half of your reader base one way or another. So it's something that religion is going to be in everything. But like everything when you're writing, you have to have intent and understand the purpose of how you're going to use it. And if you just throw it in as a way without really understanding it, it you can fall really short. So it's like anything, you've got to know it and be purposeful about how you use it. Just don't think it's just, maybe not used as much. All right, we're like a minute over, particularly since we started a couple minutes late. <laughs>
Thank you guys so much. You guys had some really great questions. Honestly, this was lovely. Thank you for listening to the Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out other Geek Saga entertainment endeavors, including the Sagas and Sass webcast and podcast and Ice and Fire Con.